Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. In this conversation, we suggest that part of our job as investors is to find or design uncommon inputs that will lead to uncommon investable insights. One of the important inputs is how we spend our time and conversations with management teams. We focus so much on designing questions for management because it can help put you in a better position to walk away with something insightful to act on. Now you'll hear a bit more about that process and the background, and a few methods you might like to use too. I hope you enjoy it. Today, we're here to talk about questions for management or designing questions for management. And meeting with management teams, it can be such a great use of time It can also, as we all know, it can be a waste. You know, management is in charge of the PowerPoint slides, as we say. So if, you know, we're relying on these 25-minute time slots at industry conferences where everyone is maybe exhilarated, maybe tired, um, but the story and narrative is the same over and over again, we're probably less likely to design a time that's going to give us something incredibly useful. So we, you know, what might we do to design questions for management that result in uncommon insights that increase conviction, you know, in my particular investment philosophy and process. And we have five sample questions, and we also have two methods for generating some of these questions that you can use as tools. But first, we're going to talk about what insight really is in order to design useful, insightful conversations, we need to understand what that might look like. Uh, We operate at the surface level, perhaps more than we realize. So get us started. How would you, how would you even talk about what insight is and, um, and how can we, you know, have more conversations that are really useful to increasing conviction in our investment case or the antithesis? As you're leading in, I was just thinking about uh, our relationship to uncertainty and figuring things out. I think a lot of times our interaction with management can be layered with, we just need to ask the right question and they will give us the answer. Like and, they are the Rosetta Stone. And you mean the that specific question on that specific data point? Is that yes. Yeah, I just need to figure out what the right question. And I ask them that and then they'll tell me the answer. And it's a battle because I know they have the answer. They just don't want to share it with me because of Reg FD or whatever, as opposed to working in partnership with them, even the approach. And then there's a small part of the market that I think believes it's our job to figure out and forecast the future that's very uncertain, that they don't know the answer. And our job is to figure that out. So I was thinking about like working backwards our goal is to have extremely high conviction. And I think that's connected towards insight generation. And inside that context, first, we need a definition of insight. The one that we've been using is an uncommon understanding of a particular matter 
that allows you to forecast the future, in this case, forecast the future of cash flows. Okay, so say that definition again. Sure. So uh, insight, and the way we're thinking about it, is an uncommon understanding of a particular matter that leads you to have higher conviction in forecasting the future of a business and its cash flows. Okay. To me, that's, so it's gotta be material mm -hmm. and it's gotta be, the most important word there is uncommon. And I like to think about uncommon that that's temporal in nature. Once everyone knows something then it's not uncommon and therefore it's no, not an insight, it's more like baked in knowledge. So uh, the world is, is round is not an insight today, but probably 2000 years ago, that was a pretty big insight. Right. So we're trying, if we can't find something uncommon, then at the end of the day, when we put our ledger of why we're buying XYZ versus someone else buying it, um, it if we do that systematically across the portfolio and we don't find a distinction of our best thinking, let's call it insight versus the market's insight, then I don't know if I'd want to give that person my money. But it's not just anything uncommon. It's something uncommon that relates to something very important in the investment thesis. Yeah, it's got to be highly relevant towards forecasting the future of those cash flows. It's right. got to matter. But uh, so kind of working backwards, and my daughter, Bailey, um, many of you know, she has special needs and she locks onto some phrases for whatever reason. So anytime anyone has lost something in the house, like my, I can't find my cell phone, she'll always go like just immediately she'll go work backwards. <laughs> and what she means is remember where you were and like we go back. So I think the same thing here, we wanna to get to that. That's our goal is to have enough insight, this uncommon understanding that generates conviction in our thinking about future cash flows of a business that we'll want to put money into, that it can win the competition for capital internally against our other ideas, as well as out in the world versus what other market participants are. That's, if I, I'm, Kind of, I'm not a big fan of the word edge, but if, if we're going to have an edge against the market, it would be that we're generating these uncommon understandings or these insights. So that's where we want to get to, that we want to get to uncommon, not just knowledgeable or filled with interesting thoughts. And we had a great discussion or it was a nice conversation that that's totally useless. Can you give an example of one or two of these sample questions that you think might unlock some uncommon insights? Yeah, so I'm kind of thinking about how do I, un how do I engineer uncommon inputs? So if I want uncommon understandings, I want something uncommon at the end. I want to have uncommon processing working backwards, and I'd like to have uncommon inputs. And we can engineer our inputs towards having highly relevant, uncommon inputs. So uh, as, as an example, one of our friends has had this question that dawned on him, I don't know, probably five, seven years ago, maybe 15. <clears throat> and it goes something like this. Uh, what is something in the past, this is to a management, what is something in the past three to four months that you sense investors really aren't appreciating, which is 
in fact, very, very important to your business when thinking about the next, say, two to five years, that the investors are just too focused on maybe the wrong thing, and they're not focusing on one or two critical elements. I love this question because for me, it's the best example of engineering uncommon. You're literally asking the management team to shine a light on something that's super important that they are pretty sure from all their conversations, people are not shining enough light on. And if they answer that question, they're kind of handing you over a very relevant, highly designed input, uncommon input that is. So I love, love, love that question. Um, another one that um, one of the one of the lessons John Dillon I think helped us a lot when we put out questions for management part one in 2013. I think was vague questions are really really valuable, um, but they have to have some structure to them and an intelligent open-endedness, not just an open-endedness. Like you really want to kind of say, well, okay, what am I going to do with this question? How are we getting there? And uh, a, a vague open question that another one of our friends asked someone about five years ago, just spontaneously, uh, he was in a meeting with an executive that he knew and he said, hey, if I was going to be asked to take over as a CEO in three weeks, what would you have to teach me? And I thought, again, such a brilliant question because the time frame, three weeks, like this CEO doesn't have a lot of time to teach this person, like what they really, really, really need to know. And it's kind of cutting through the chase, cutting through all that stuff, all that noise. Would you teach me what I need to know? And in the right type of relationship, in this particular case, our friend actually wound up sitting next to the CEO and the CEO was scribbling and drawing pictures of what our friend would need to know and what he'd need to learn in order to be at the helm of this organization in a three week period of time. You could just see them acting in partnership, it made my heart glow. One of the things that, um, that you advocate for is fewer questions um, that we don't have to go in with a, you know, a litany of um, very specific questions about things, unless there's something really incredibly important about a particular business unit that you're really there to um, work on, but why fewer questions and what's the, what's the goal behind that? Um, I was thinking that uh, I had a great conversation with JP sometime in the last 18 months that really spurred this thought that there are so many great questions to ask, but you can wind up getting caught up in all the great questions sometimes. And then you're trying to, on the back end, potentially trying to weave all of that together. Uh, I think, Ren, at the back of the questions for management part one, you put something like 40 or 50 really awesome questions that we hadn't attended to. We had our top 10, and then we had like all of which I still love. And then we had like an addendum of all these awesome questions. And I love an awesome question so much so that I think sometimes I can outsmart myself by creating my own chaos of <laughs> questions answered all these things. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about the simplicity in um, some spaces to just know a few things really, really, really well, really deeply to understand 
yeah, even the rhythm of a question or where a question could go and where it can't. And to become almost in quotes, an expert on a few questions, as opposed to always being able to come up with the smart question as if you're a private investigator and there's a thousand things you need to know. Well, that brings up a really important point about uh, preparing for these meetings. I think um, I used to think of it as, you know, kind of knowing everything so that I could and having probably a long list of questions, maybe a very simple list of questions. But there's also that I think now one of the biggest parts of preparation is just the preparation to be extremely present or I don't know if you can be extremely present. I think you're just present or not. <laughs> but the because you want to listen for those anomalies, right? It's the it's when you <laughs> when that ding goes off in your mind, like wait, that's different, and mm. to be able to to then ask the question that enables it opens that up, maybe in a non defensive way if it's something that you think is not good, or maybe in a very curious way if you're really if it's something you think is going to unlock something about culture that's very very powerful, um, but that you know. I think that, how do you train for that? You know, we're not trained when they say go into management meetings. It's, I, I haven't always heard that, just be present and wait for the anomalies. But I think it's something that more and more is the, um, a really key point to having that, investing all that time with management is really to listen for the anomalies. There's a phrase, this, uh, this is really helpful. There's a phrase that I heard years and years and years ago by a famous basketball coach. And he said, it's important to be in position to be in position. And what he meant is if you want to win the game on, on Friday, Monday, you have to hold, do a whole bunch of things in order to be in position to win the game on Friday. And when I first went to Brown University, I was not a very good student in high school at, at, at all. I got good grades. Somehow I figured out how to get into Brown University. And I showed up and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do well with this. And, but I wasn't sure what the heck to do. I was confused in my first economics class. I went back to my dorm room and I literally rewrote all my notes. Cause I, I, and so then I, from that I crafted a rule of two hours outside of class for every hour in class. And I'd show up in class and I'd know exactly what was going on. So I could hear those little things. And also I could gauge whether I had a clue or not. So over the past years, I've been uh, with some of our clients, I've been suggesting you know, have, have a one-to-one -one ratio of time prep to time in the meeting, which basically means I'll build in time to sit in my predetermined game plan, think it through thoroughly, maybe even cut a third of the time in the meeting down because it's not a race to ask every question. At that point, I just, it's kind of like going to office hours. Like I've figured out where my holes are and we could just focus on that for 20 minutes and then I can go on with the rest of my day. I, I really do like your idea of how can we hear the thing that really matters, that anomaly. And if we're just going through the normal motions, if we think we can show up and you know, wing it, well, it's probably not gonna, that processing is not gonna be uncommon. That's gonna be very common, state of the art, normal, 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 and at the end, we'll have a normal level of conviction. And then we're really banking on implicitly that we're super, super, super smart of which I don't know, maybe 5% of the people are mm -hmm. that smart that they could get away with that. I'm definitely not one of those. Well, I want to so like, hit two more sample questions. This one's from John Dillon, a CEO himself. And it is, 
what will be the greatest adaptation your organization will need to accomplish for your organization to be successful in four to five years time? And I love that one because although it's about four to five years time out, it's not. It's really about what, how the management team sees um, where they are now and where they need to go and how they will adapt. So I love that one. I, I like John. Uh, um, asking people who are really, you know, really think deeply about anything about questions, I find I learned so much. And John has helped us so much over the last, I guess, 24 years or so since I first met him. And I love how he says, you know, that's really a CEO's job to understand where the organization is, where it needs to go, how it's going to change, how it's going to adapt. And that single question, if you just really got good at that question and were able to perform jazz with that as a basic question, you know, the CEO is going to say something, you understand those riffs so, so well that that becomes the only question as you walk into a meeting, I could see that unlocking everything that would be important. That's really neat. So just the last thing before we go, there are two kind of tips or tools for generating better questions as a team, which I think are kind of fun. So one of them is to create an internal competition for 10 questions. And I love this point. You say, vow to never ask a question where your ego will feel you are smart. And this goes to the, <laughs> some of these meetings really devolve into intellectual jousting. So I think that's a really helpful one to, to acknowledge that and say, okay, let's, let's think of questions that aren't about being, you know, showy um, or, you know, trying to establish some sort of position over the management team or over other investors in the meeting. But let's see, um, let's see what happens when we can take that away. When someone gave me a phrase of watch out when you, when your chest puffs up. So you're in that meeting and this is great for breakouts and things like that. Like that if you think you asked a question and, and you're so, you don't even hear the answer because you're so impressed with your own question. And I've definitely been there before. Like, wow, that's, that's not gonna be very useful. That's not gonna be helpful. Especially if they look and they go, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Another like part of that, um, of this method is to vow to use at least 80% of the time on questions that have relevance for 18 months and beyond. So that's another, all of these in creating an internal competition for 10 questions, you can put in these constraints in order to design questions that work with your investment philosophy. And I love that one because it will have, you know, how do you, we're, we're very used to thinking about the near term and wanting to be as aware as possible of what the near term is going to bring in the market and you know on the stock price but what can we do to if if we spent that time and put that constraint in that nope you can't even ask about that you know that the team might generate some interesting I, i'd even go maybe like, just riffing off that a little bit i'd go further one is um never ask a question with your one-on-one -on -one time with management that you think has probably been in, asked at an investor conference and then take that or an analyst day or something like that Take those constraints and share them with the management team. Share them with the IR contact that's supposed to screen you before the meeting because two things will happen. A, um, they might trust you more and they might have a conversation that they're really excited about. And then secondly, it kind of puts you in a position to follow through on that, that promise. Like, like there's a lot of people go, oh yeah, yeah, we never do, we never. And then you'd kind of shine a light and you go like, 
No, like 80% of about was about the next 12 months if we like did the slow motion. So sometimes telling management, here's how we conduct our meetings. We blah, blah, blah. We can do this and this and this and that. We want to focus on, you know, 24 months and beyond. If that's what you want to focus on, a lot of our clients have that orientation. Just kind of put that bar out there. That then, you, then it's up to you to actually follow through and do that thing. And if you do, you'll be loved by these management teams. They'll want to talk to you again, most likely. Okay. And the second method is to shine a light on great question asking. Um, so that's sort of setting this intention that every person in the group will develop into world-class question askers and make it a practice, make it a study. You know, why would this question be great? What is the fabric of a great question? What is the, and I would think it's not, it's not just the questions it's right. It's designing the interaction. So questions are just a part of that. But, and that's what this sort of shining a light gets onto. Oh, what is this that um, we could all learn from, you know, so-and-so who just creates the space for really, um, you know, whatever it is you want, a meeting with management that felt more like partnership, that felt like, you know, you were both learning or, or whatever it is, but to just really intentionally shine a light on that. Yeah, I don't think when, when we say to different clients, what if you could all become world-class question askers? There's like this moment like, oh my God, that would be awesome. And yeah, we don't really kind of put in the day-to-day, we just kind of go through. I'll, maybe I'll give a final example of terrible question asking. So long, long, long ago when I was at UBS, I was responsible for our CIO um, um, surveys. These were chief um, information officers. And so we got this budget. This was not my idea. This was given to me. We had this budget to, um, that we hired this firm that would survey chief information officers at companies to see what technologies they'd be using. And I really disliked these because they were kind of wrote, the questions weren't thought out. So for instance, you know, name the three companies you're gonna spend more of your budget with next year. And the same companies would come back on spend more and spend less because it was tilted towards the biggest companies. So it wasn't surprised they'd show up on both of us at any rate. So um, I, um, we would spend a lot of time when it was our turn to use this survey, we'd spend a lot of time thinking through, if we ask that, how do we structure it? So we get something useful back. And mm-hmm. the first report we put out was called CIO surveys are useless. And what that meant is it was up to us to make them useful. We started to point out the why it didn't work. And um, if you just go through asking questions, you're going to get nonsense back. The epitome of nonsense back. One of the questions we put in on the last survey we did was which of these three things are you going to spend them or how much are you going to put into WTP next year? Are you um, assessing it? Are you not sure? Are you going to triple your amount, et cetera, et cetera, this WTP? And the survey answer, survey group came back to us and said, um, do you want to se- uh, spell out the acronym WP, WTP? And we said, no, 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 no. And so they sent this to all the survey people, uh, all the people, all these CIOs that they had contact with, and we get these results back. And I think 55% said they would be significantly increasing their um, budget towards WPTP in the next year. And why that was interesting was WTP didn't actually exist. We had made up the acronym. 
So we wanted the to WTP on. stood for it stood for Winnie the Pooh. Our <laughs> friend Faye created it. And um, there was no so you imagine these people answering questions and the lack of intelligence back and forth in the question asking, the question answering, on to the next meeting, on to this, this, this. I think, Bryn, there's this huge opportunity for uncommon understandings, insights, uncommon processing, uncommon, uncommon designed, engineered, whatever we want to call it, inputs all along the way. And asking questions for management is one of the biggest of them. So now that we've taken some time to dig into the background and a few tools, we're very excited to welcome John Dillon, a CEO of private and public companies in our next episode. We'll be talking about the same topic, but from the other side of the table. Thanks for listening.